0: Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Ben
1: and I'm joined by my co-host Drew. Thanks Ben. Each episode we will sample beers both local and beyond while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information.
0: And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or stream each episode on wannabewalkons.com. New episodes drop during the Nebraska football season every
1: Tuesday at 11 a.m. On this week's episode, Ben and I will sample beer from Omaha's Farnham House Brewing Company, we'll share our thoughts on the Nebraska-Michigan game, and we will look ahead to the Huskers' trip to the Twin Cities as they take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben and this is Wanna Be Walk-ons.
0: So Drew, yesterday, after I finished mowing the lawn on my Saturday morning routine, I sat down and and hunkered in for a lovely day of football watching. And there were some good games on yesterday. We saw Iowa and Penn State throw down. Yeah. We saw an Alabama upset. That was great. We obviously all probably watched the Nebraska-Michigan game, and we'll dive into that. Yeah. But before I watched football, it was almost serendipitous that I fell down a YouTube rabbit hole. On Tony Robbins' videos. Are you are you familiar with Tony Robbins? I
1: know of, I know of him. He's the motivational speaker guy. Yeah, he's kind of like he a... Was, he was in Shallow Hell. Yes. He made, he made a cameo there. He did. Terrible movie, but that's what I think of. When yeah, I think of him.
0: that's Tony Robbins. So if that's your only exposure... <laughs> it's the only reference I have to him. So I am a fan of reading a lot of... Uh, you might categorize them as self-help. Some of them are business books, but they're just kind of like how to mentally strengthen yourself, how to use your mind and exercise your mind and things like that. So Tony Robbins does come up on occasion. The reason I bring this up may become more and more clear. Sure. He talked through his morning routine. Every morning he wakes up, he goes through a workout, he goes to a sauna, and then he finishes every kind of morning ritual with a cold plunge where he dives into a pool that's about 56 degrees. And he said in this YouTube video I was watching, that there's never a morning that he wants to face this cold. He never wants to take this cold plunge. And the interviewer was like, well, then why do it? And this really stuck out to me as, as to why he said he does this. He goes, he does this every morning because it forces him to do something that his mind tells him not to. Hmm. It forces him to flex the muscle or work out that muscle because he believes that the mind is a muscle you have to work out. It forces him to say, Fuck you to his brain, and move forward with something, and it gives him control over the way that he thinks then the rest of the day. It gives him that power to deflect from the negativity, so if his mind starts to think negatively, he knows, well, hey, I've worked out that muscle where I can control the way that I think. Now, do with that what you want, but it was just something that I really almost needed before the game happened, and then it was very helpful with giving some clarity to how I processed what happened Saturday during the Michigan-Nebraska game. Yeah,
1: it did. Going into that game did feel like you were going in, you're plunging into something. Yeah. Because I remember I had all sorts of confidence leading up to that game, feeling really good about it, and then right before kickoff, you like just the bottom of my stomach fell out. Yeah. And you just hit that feeling of like, oh my god, like.
0: Here we go. A a lot of the narrative, right, is this is the most important game of the Scott Frost era. And we've heard that narrative kind of repeated over and over and over this entire season, because a lot of the talk has been on, is this going to be Scott Frost's final season as the head coach at Nebraska? I have that similar feeling where I was confident Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, when everyone else was getting confident, I was going, oh, no, what are we doing? (laughs) Let's be confident when the clock hits zero after the fourth quarter.
1: Right. Right. But. We did it. We all took the plunge together. We did. And uh, we can dig into kind of how how our minds responded to that and how we're coping. I just wanted
0: to share that, though, because after the Michigan State loss, you talked about that Marcus Aurelius quote where it's an honor to fail because it meant you got to attempt and try. And what an honor it would be to try and fail again because you're at least getting the opportunity to do so. This Tony Robbins, his kind of mindset helped me out there where it's like, okay, it's tough to lose over and over and over, especially in these close games. It's even more difficult to process it if you're letting your mind continually slip into the negativity. Yeah. So you have to flex that muscle where you have to tell yourself you have to look at everything, not just the good, look at the bad too, look at everything and then build your perspective based on all of the data. And that's what Tony Robbins does here is he he figures out a way to work out his mind and find the good because he's telling his
1: mind not to focus on the
0: negative, and he's flexing that muscle.
1: So, do you know what's really funny though that you bring that quote up? This is the first morning that I woke up after a Nebraska game, and I and I couldn't bring myself to watch the game again. Sure, I couldn't take the plunge this time. So it's just kind of odd that you would bring that up in this in this scenario. Like, yeah, I, I I watched all the other you know the other losses as tough as it was, and it it did help you know help me get through it because then you start analyzing it. And you, sure, you, your brain takes a different path that's less emotional mm-hmm. but this was the one that they, they you know i'm not in a negative space yeah with this team but this was a game that was like i just couldn't bring myself to do it again i was like i'm just gonna give some re- probably some pretty terrible analysis on it you know? <laughs> <laughs> which not too far from what i normally do I'm, i just couldn't suck my i couldn't suck it up you couldn't suck yourself <laughs> couldn't suck myself yeah. this morning uh, and so yeah the, the pendulum
0: um, swings of this show uh, yeah yeah <laughs> Marcus Aurelius, Tony Robbins, self-help philosophy, sucking yourself, sucking yourself off. off.
1: <laughs> you never yourself All right, we'll,
0: we'll dive into Michigan in a moment. But first and foremost, uh, we have some beer to talk about. And before us, we have some brews from Farnham House Brewing in Omaha. It's the first brewery from Omaha we've actually covered, being both people who live in Omaha. Uh, we've wanted to explore further out west in central and central and northern and uh, southern Nebraska before we dove into some of the stuff that's more local to us. So we're going to talk about Farnham House Brewing Company, and they are in the Blackstone District in Omaha. Tony Thomas is living his dream. In 1998, Tony was working on his thesis project for his marketing degree. He put pen to paper, and when he finished, he had a fully developed business plan for opening a brewery. Sixteen years later, Tony's humble thesis project came to life. But what happened over the course of those 16 years that led to Tony and his business partner, Phil Duer to opening Farnham House Brewing Company? Well, Tony and Phil spent years as home brewers perfecting their craft. Tony learned everything he could while brewing both at home and in commercial breweries, while Phil brewed in his barrage, which led to the founding of the South Omaha Brewers Home Brewers Club. As their passion continued to flourish, Phil and Tony, along with their patient, loving wives, traveled to Germany, Belgium, the Czech Republic, and all across the states to meet the artisans that made great beer. It was on these beer pilgrimages that Phil and Tony decided to make their hobby into something more. It was time to dust off the thesis and put it into practice. Farnham House Brewing Company opened its doors in July of 2014 in Omaha's Blackstone District. Tony and Phil both share duties as brewmasters, owners, and operators. They specialize in old-world-style beers, German lagers, box, stouts, farmhouse ales, and sours. They brew in the basement brew house on Farnham Street in what used to be the vault of Crandall Furs. Now, can you imagine? Just I just want to... Rewind a little bit, go back in time. Can you imagine being a burglar in the nineteen sixties when Crandall Furs was in operation, and you come across this massive vault, and you crack it open, and it's just full of animal pelts? (laughs) (laughs) Has nothing to do with the brewery, but just how disappointing would that be as a
1: as a criminal? All that labor and effort. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna be cold, right?
0: So yeah, but you're sitting there with. With the stethoscope as you're turning the dial like to crack the hampshire Bergwin greatest safe that's ever i don't know if right. that's nothing that just that's made up but and then you're like click 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 we
1: did it the fog like pours out as the door opens the fog
0: and the, the musk <laughs> yeah. the, the mink musk as it just fills the air and you're like what god damn it what sick operation is this right imagine being like a vegan criminal
1: Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, what a day ruiner that is. It's like a
0: house of horrors. (laughs) Anyways, back on track. In addition to serving world-class artisan beers, Farnham House Brewing Company has a full kitchen that has frequently been mentioned among the best restaurants in Omaha. Recently, the Blackstone District of Omaha went through a bit of a revival. Farnham House cemented itself in the community prior to the remodeling of other historical buildings, but fits in perfectly with the new landscape. The brewery is a landing spot for folks looking for a place to try new beer, grab a delicious bite, and spend time among friends. It's just the way Tony drew it up back in 1998. And that's Farnham House Brewing. So Drew, what are we currently drinking right now?
1: Yeah, we're drinking the Zomer Wit Beer. It is a Belgian wheat. It clocks in at 5% ABV. Just a light, refreshing, um, but very flavorful wit. Getting a lot of the citrus notes from it. It's very sweet flavor as well that's um, kind of captivating and and fun to drink as easy as it is.
0: Absolutely. This is a perfect sipping beer. I mean, I could just sit back on the porch, on the patio, post mowing the lawn with a good meal, a nice burger, something heavy, something light, and drink this. It's kind of one of those beers that just fits all occasions.
1: Yeah, it goes down easy. It's really light. I'm enjoying this one. Yeah, me too. Good way to kick kick off the day.
0: Absolutely. So we'll come back to Farnham House Brewing Company in a little bit with another beer from them, but it is now time for us to dive in to the Nebraska Michigan game. Just to quickly recap it for you, Nebraska did lose thirty two to twenty nine in another heartbreaker, another close game with a top ten opponent. Drew, I'm gonna let you start.
1: I wanna so I wanna start with one thing that I, I wanna get off my chest and okay. then I wanna move on. I don't wanna bring it back into the conversation if we can help it. Sure. That was without a doubt the worst officiated game I've ever witnessed. Ever. In all of the sports, all of the games I've ever watched of anything, they got in the way. They were a hindrance to the game. They got in the way with, you know, all these these replay reviews, terrible pass interference call against Jojo Doman, the, what do they call it? Disconcerting signals and joint possession, like shit that you just don't hear. Ever? Like, ever. Yeah. I, and then, and then. At Illegal the,
0: formation where Nebraska had four guys the f- in the backfield. Yeah.
1: And, and, yeah. And, and like they both teams were doing were had those formations throughout the game like I don't I don't get it and then on uh on Martinez's drive when they when Martinez fumbled towards the end of the game there those three plays if you go back and watch them like they were not blowing the whistle to say that progress had stopped at all and I remember thinking on that first one like they didn't blow the whistle like that's odd and then the next one it was like why the fuck aren't they blowing the whistle and then by the time that Martinez fumbled it was such an it was a foregone conclusion. Like Michigan was going to rip the ball out because the refs were letting him play too long. So it was just a. It was frustrating to see. I don't blame the officiating. Yeah. For the loss, it was just one of those things where a great game got spoiled in my mind by the the officiating. I think
0: that's a good way to look at it. Right. There were poor calls on both sides of the ball. Yeah. There were calls that went for Nebraska, that went against Nebraska, for Michigan, against Michigan. And I think the way that you describe it as the officiating got in the way of the game is the right way to look at it. I'm not under the mindset where you lose because of the officials or you win because of the officials. I'm under the mindset though, like you have, where it can affect the game and it's and it's not good for either team. And I think if you look back at the attitude that Scott Frost had at this on the sideline where he was approaching officials, but then also some of the shock on Harbaugh's face where his jaws literally just dropped. Oh yeah. I think they both were thinking, what is this circus that we're watching? And it's embarrassing. It should be embarrassing for that crew. It should be embarrassing for the big 10. I don't know how much you spend on how much time you spend on Twitter during the games, during commercial breaks and stuff like that. But the big 10 even posted a tweet, the big Ten's official Twitter profile posted a tweet about that disconcerting signals. And they're like, have you guys ever heard of that call? And then they deleted it. So clearly their heads are so far up their asses that they've turned around and come back out. And it's just amazing that it's not, I'm happy it was on primetime so that people could see how terrible that officiating was. Mm -hmm. But yeah,
1: it sucks when that just gets in the way of the game. Yeah, it was just disappointing. Big moments, big plays impacted by referees that it just shouldn't happen. So, yeah, anyway, I had to get that off my chest. It was annoying. But anyway, to the game, what what I want to take away from that or what I'm, I am taking away from it is there's a lot of talk about this team trying to turn a corner. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we get caught up in that sort of that analogy, we imagine it like a like a switch like you just suddenly everything's clicking and you know and I've been caught up in that idea too that that could happen but it it makes us lose sight of just the the tremendous growth that this team has seen and that Frost and his staff have seen over the the past few years if you look back the last time we played in Michigan they made us look like what we made northwestern look like this time i think it was a better team that we were facing in Michigan than the last time, and we hung with them. Yeah, you know, we 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 were the first team to have a lead against them this year. So, right,
0: and the second, and I think the third.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, a lot of flip flopping there towards the end. So all these losses, like they're frustrating because it, it again, it's it's the same thing in the sense that it's one score games and it's Nebraska has the lead late and they find a way to blow it. I get that. I get the frustration with that, but it's not the same because these are. We're going toe-to-toe with top 10 teams, right. like legitimately great teams, and we're playing good football in these games. We're not just, they're not, it's not because the opponent is playing down to us right. that's keeping us around. We're, we're not getting these lucky breaks or balls bouncing our way that's kind of, it's not fluky. This right. is real good football with just really unfortunate results.
0: Yeah, we're almost playing good football in spite of that fluky shit coming against us. Yeah. So that is something to be proud of, and I like the perspective that you're bringing up. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase Bobby Bowden, the late great Bobby Bowden, who said, "When you're turning a program around, first you lose big, then you lose close, then you win close, then you win big." We're in that lose close win close window. We used to be, we used to be losing big to teams like a Michigan, mm-hmm. and losing close to teams like a Northwestern. We've beat Northwestern big. But all the teams that we're supposed to win, we've done that three out of the four times this year. We've got some of those games ahead of us as well, where we should win those games. And that will be progress, depending on how those games are won. A Minnesota, a Purdue, those are games that we typically play close. We shouldn't be playing those games close with the talent and the execution we're seeing this year. I also thought back about, as kind of, again, controlling my mindset, thank you Tony Robbins, my season expectations were 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, and five. We're still on track for that. It's tough in the moment to look at it and go, man, we were so close to Michigan. But this is a team that hasn't made a bowl game in four seasons. Just making a bowl game would be a huge step forward, and we're still on track for that. We're still on track to beat a Minnesota team who embarrassed us last year and the year before. We're still on track to beat a Purdue team. We could easily beat a Wisconsin team, Ohio State's gettable, and Iowa's going to be a fun as hell game at home as the last game of the season. There's a lot of this season left, and it's not a false confidence that we have going into this. We're hanging with the big dogs now, so don't expect to turn the corner every single game, but maybe we'll see that that corner turn in one of these games coming up where we shouldn't win or we're not favored, and we pull it out.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping that I I wrote down something similar. That I think that when it's all said and done, I think we have a six and six record, and I think we're the best six and six team in the country, and it's not even close. Because I because I'm looking ahead at the schedule, I think you know Minnesota, Purdue, Wisconsin, we should be favored in if Wisconsin continues to do what they're doing. I think Ohio State's really hitting their stride now, and we're seeing that. And that's a team that that's the one if we're gonna get blown out this year or have a game where like we just aren't in it at all. Like, that's the game I'm looking at where sure, that's the, the reminder of how far we have to go. Sure. And then Iowa is an incredibly good team this year. Yeah. But we played them close no matter what, no matter what our records are. That's one that, like you said, should be a lot of fun. Iowa's an incredibly
0: see. good defense. Yeah. Yeah, that's They're true. going to be the best defense we play this year.
1: Their quarterback is what I think holds them back. Yeah. Um, and
0: their offensive coordinator. I don't have yeah. a problem taking a shot at Brian Ferentz. I don't either.
1: That dude looks like he is one cheeseburger away from a heart attack when he's on the sidelines.
0: I just, I I was going to say that he looks like he has a constant anal fissure and trying to push out a hard shit. (laughs) And he gets that look from his dad. Like they both stand there with kind of like a side lean and they're just got a grunt on their face where they're just
1: uncomfortable. Yeah. When the TV crew like puts the close up on them, like I just have to turn away. Yeah. It's a cringy. All that said, I think when we look back, back on this season, that's when we're going to see evidence of that that quote-unquote turning the corner.
0: Sure. One One of the things, I slightly mentioned it a little bit earlier, one of the things that we haven't really talked about on this podcast, and I think it's worth getting into on this game because it's an important game and it was an important performance, is Scott Frost's future at Nebraska. And I wrote down some thoughts on, on his future and on what this season looks like already at this point. We were constantly rated as one of the Top five, if not the top two hardest schedules in college football going into this year. We haven't been blown out in a single game. Game management is improving. There's touchdown saving reviews and calls that are being made. Oklahoma could have been a fluke. Michigan State could have been a fool me twice situation. Michigan, to me, proved that we are a team that can hang with the big boys. That we are a team that can hang with these top ten teams. Mike Riley never did that. He upset Michigan State. As a fluke, but he never had any other games where he was really hanging with the top dogs. We've seen year after year these small progressions, and they don't all come together in the same moment. But this run of three games against top 10 opponents, where we've come out pretty damn close every time we've all had an opportunity to win, those aren't just by accident. You're not getting three of the best teams in the country on their worst day only against Nebraska. Frost has turned the ship, all that's left are wins. You can disagree if you want. I I don't have a problem with it. If we were to let go of Frost after this season, it would be a mistake. And I think that Trev Alberts is a smart enough athletic director and he's football savvy and he's a smart guy and he does the hard things for his programs that may not be the easy things. He might get a lot of shit because there's. I think the Scott Frost conversation is more divisive than politics in Nebraska. He's going to keep frost because he knows that this is a guy that's moving in the right direction and has had to work his way to this point to get rid of him now or at the end of the season would be an utter mistake.
1: Yeah. I don't follow the, the chatter, I guess too much. So I'm not sure where people are in terms like where we are collectively as a fan base. With yeah. Frost. I think it's, I think it's about 50, 50 to is be it? honest. Yeah. Dang. See, and that's crazy to me because in my mind it is so that the improvement is so obvious. That if you really are paying attention, if you're not just looking at the the win loss record, you're looking at like how are we arriving here. You see that improvement, and like I like I just don't get how you can be against Frost. I can see how you like. I'm not saying give him like unlimited time, right? You know, but like keep keep working with him as long as he's showing these improvements.
0: This season has been the most empirical evidence, though, of that improvement. So I can understand the past three years where people are looking at it going. This guy's garbage. We thought it was going to be turned around in year two, but if you're if you're really paying attention, this year, and again, this is we're not a podcast that believes in moral victories. These aren't moral victories we're talking about here. These are still losses. There's not a third column.
1: Yeah, it still it still sucks. Like yeah, this, absolutely. This is not is still, good
0: enough. But our goal for this year, and this was a a statewide goal. People were talking about this was to make a bowl game. That's still on the table. It's still well within reason. But there's also been this immeasurable growth that we're seeing game after game where, again, it could have been a fluke the first time. But now we're seeing it on a consistent basis. It sucks that we dropped Illinois. It sucks that that game was a loss. That one's the inexcusable one. And had the season continued to progress in that direction, yeah, this would have been a different conversation. But it's very clearly not. Things are being figured out. Adjustments are being made. Changes are being made within lineups. The offensive line play. All that sort of stuff. Like Those are things that are improving. And to get rid of this coach now when he's got the team, the culture, the improvements, again, it's it's just the wrong decision.
1: Yeah, I think that would be detrimental
0: yeah. to
1: the overall trajectory of the program. So
0: so we'll we'll go through some specifics real quick. We don't have to dwell too much on there. I think the conversation about where the program stands after the game is more important. But special teams, did you have any thoughts on the special teams during the game?
1: Uh, The biggest thing was that it was innocuous in this game, which I thought was great. But I also thought that Pristop did a great job punting. He made himself more of an asset in this game with the field position. I was really impressed with that aspect. And then I think we did a nice job on our return coverage Mm -hmm. against Michigan.
0: I agree. I had the exact same thing written down that special teams was going to be the X factor in this game. Michigan's top 10 in every special teams category. And Nebraska went toe to toe with them. Pristop kicked great. Ranky kick great and the kickoff coverage was excellent there wasn't a kick taken past the 25 the average starting field position for michigan was 21.9 yard line that's as that's as good as you can ask for
1: yep yep so that was special teams moving on cool (laughs) Start knocking these things out bang 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 boom boom boom. let's do it offense offense nebraska's biggest takeaway for me was a halftime adjustments yes sir and the biggest adjustment that i saw And I don't have empirical evidence of this, but Martinez started running the ball and making the decision to keep it or if nobody was open downfield to take off. I didn't think he did that in moments in the first half when he maybe could have Mm -hmm. not seeing the whole field. I don't know what he was looking at. Maybe, you know, maybe he did make the right decision in the first half, but it wasn't getting the offense anywhere. And I think part of that, too, is a testament to Michigan's defense. Like they just have a great defense. Like that's all there is to it.
0: They have a suffocating pass rush. Yeah. That line and the perimeter speed that they have makes things very hard. There was Adrian didn't get sacked a lot, but there was not a lot of clean pockets. Right. He was having
1: to throw in a lot of traffic. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that you know after especially after the defense gives up that touchdown and they go, on, go down 13 to nothing, you're not feeling good at that point about mm. what's going to happen in the second half. But the offense came out and again they just they stuck with the run with the They started, you know, running Martinez, and they they took their shots and they they scored some points. And so yep. twenty nine points in the second half. Yeah, and, and twenty two of those I think came in the third quarter. The best so.
0: third quarter we've had in a very long time. Yeah, so Especially, I thought that, that was yeah. yeah, I thought that was great, and I feel like that's something that maybe sometimes is missing. From Let me game. ask you a question and see what you think about this. Do you think the vanilla play calling in the first half was on purpose?
1: I wasn't sure because. With Northwestern, they did so much of the crazy triple option stuff mm-hmm. where it was like, man, like they really game-planned for Northwestern. Yeah. And, yeah, with Michigan, it was it was almost like they were trying to game-plan for them, but they realized that they, they weren't going to be able to do much of anything. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it was just, well, we're just going to pound them. We're just going to see what we can do to wear them down. So what I thought when I saw the
0: offensive play calling in the first half was it's let's wear down this team. Let's wear down the perimeter. Let's wear down the edges in the middle of that line to start to make some push. And then when they're tired, let's hit them in the second half. It felt like the offense was like, okay, we're going to we're gonna turn this into a, a single half game. We're not going to make it two halves. We're going to rely on our defense to keep us in this game. And then when it comes time to pull out certain plays, we're going to pull them out. And that's, to me, how the play calling felt. Mm -hmm. Because Michigan has a very experienced defensive coordinator who's going to be able to make adjustments. And the option is really hard to practice if you don't have the people to run it in practice. I mean, even after running it for how many games Scott Frost at Nebraska was running it at a 6 out of 10. So to just do it in one week and get it figured out, I felt that maybe they were going to say, "Okay, we're going to run real vanilla, tire them down so that they don't see it in game action and they can't adjust over the half and then we're going to hit him with it in the second to make it more effective and they have to adjust on the fly instead of having some time to stop and breathe and think about it. That's to me what the game fa- the game plan kind of felt like was the second half they just opened the playbook. They were trying to play the <laughs> okay. field position game. Yeah. And and just keep themselves in it to where they were within striking distance for the second half.
1: With with the game that Ramirez Johnson had, he had 6 receptions on this game like Really great. He was our leading receiver. Yeah. In no game this season has Nebraska had more than four receptions from all of their running backs combined, and so that also I think is a little bit telling um, as far as their game plan goes. Is it, again, I don't think that they thought that they could really run on this team. They were going up the middle a lot, and even yeah. though there was nothing there, but I think that might have been because they didn't feel like they had enough speed to get around to the edges. Sure. And so they found an extension of the run game with thrown to, thrown to Ramir. And so, yeah, it was an it was an interesting game plan. It, it was effective, too. I mean, even though the first half was a total dud, they still came out again and adjusted and, and found a way to put up some points.
0: Yeah. I had my favorite moment of a Scott Frost post-game presser, and it was when he was asked about that initial field goal, not taking the points and going forward on fourth and two near the goal line. And he said, I didn't think we would win this game with field goals. Scott, buddy, you showed a desire to succeed and no fear of failure. Bravo. It was so nice to see that. In the moment, I hated the decision. But again, taking some time to step away, to hear the reasoning why, to take some clarity, he made the right call. They weren't going to win the game with field goals. They weren't. You, you You can do whatever voodoo math you want to do and say well if they'd kicked the field goal here then Michigan would have done this and Nebraska would have come back this way and the game was lost by three points and so that field goal is the reason we lost doesn't work like that football ebbs and flows it was the right call I like the call I don't necessarily like the play decision because again you're talking about that perimeter speed
1: Mm -hmm. I would have liked
0: to have seen some sort of outlet where someone leaked behind and was on the far back of the end zone maybe a tight end and Austin Allen something like that it didn't look like that was there but I do like the fact that they went for it. I do like the fact that they said, hey, our offense is moving. We believe in our defense. We're going to try and win the game right now and keep that momentum moving forward. So props to Scott. I've been hard on him about that. No fear of failure. It was nice to see it in action.
1: Yeah, I agree. I was I was good with the call when it happened. I think a big part of that, too, is they were. it was fourth and two from the three. They had a chance to get a first down there, too. And I think that made a big difference in the play call. If it's fourth and goal from the three, maybe he maybe he thinks a little differently probably not based on what he was saying after the game but just having that that chance for a first down not having to get the full three yards makes a difference there the as far as a play call goes I don't have the stats in front of me but Adrian Martinez is like I think after this game he's maybe like five of 13 throwing the ball for 20 some yards with three touchdowns and interception in the red zone one of those touchdowns and half of those yards came in this game running the ball in the red zone he's got 10 touchdowns now yeah and so when you're looking at like what are you going to do like if you're going to throw the ball in that situation especially on a fourth down early in the game when you're giving up three points to try to get those seven I can see why they wanted to run Martinez sure in spite of the the opponent
0: yeah the the late in the game option run where you know he faked to Ramirez and then he ran in for the touchdown and Hutchinson bit on that Mm-hmm. that's the kind of play call I was hoping to see if we had something where there was gotcha. there was more of an option than just get a lead blocker because Michigan was juice they were amped this was the first defensive possession so of course they're going to have all of their speed all of their energy all of their excitement right. I wanted a little more razzle dazzle on the play call because that's what it's going to take for this offense with their skill level with their offensive line to get a push against as strong of a defense as Michigan yeah having a a relief valve or something like that to try and make something happen i mean you get an interception so be it it's fourth down who cares i just wanted something else there on the play call but the decision to go for it itself to me again it's another piece of evidence of we're improving we're game managing we're making these right calls and we're not afraid to fail here anymore so i just wanted to give props on that not that he's listening but scott i uh
1: (laughs) i mean maybe Probably not. Probably not, though. Yeah. He's probably got other things to do. Yeah, he's
0: busy. He doesn't care what two yahoos have to say. but He's listened to us as far as our special teams advice
1: goes, though. He really has. Just fair catch. Just saying. Okay. So, moving on. Let's talk about (laughs) Nebraska's defense. All right. So, my biggest takeaway on this one was just their stamina without wearing down. There were times where I felt like you could see Michigan starting to overpower them up front um especially with the way that these running backs were running and just picking up these really tough yards after contact so in the back of my mind this was a game i was thinking they're going to michigan's going to bust loose on one like or not even just on one play but just on a drive like they're going to cut us for 7 8 y- 9 yards a play and just start pounding us and I, and the defense never gave up that ground like that throughout the game so it wasn't their best performance by any means as far as like tackling goes or stopping the run and and mcnamara had some pretty good success through the air
0: Mm -hmm. unless he was throwing on cam's side of the field yeah right oh
1: man and i'll talk about that (laughs) i'm sure you will drew's talking about cam taylor Britt. oh what is this yeah God, no McNamara made he was he was making smart throws yeah. for the most part. He was a pretty cautious quarterback throughout that game, but he was throwing more than he ever had, I think, in a game. And so overall I was I was still impressed with the defense. But in terms of like this game relative to the the past few games, mm-hmm. I didn't think it quite lived up to what they've done. And that and a big part of that was again just missing tackles, yeah. not taking guys down to the ground on first contact.
0: What I think is interesting is Michigan State had Walker. They had one running back to worry about. Oklahoma had one running back to worry about. Michigan has a stable of three guys who can carry the load, who run hard, who wear you down. So whereas one guy might get tired throughout the game of being hit and dinged up, Michigan can keep cycling guys in. And so, yeah, there was some tough tackling. They were wrapping guys up. But you got to give credit to Michigan's running backs. They know how to run guys over. They play Big Ten football. And so I do give credit to Michigan on on that front. They've got a great group of, of running backs that... I mean, one of them the game. Yeah, that's that's where they had those big breakdowns when Nebraska was taking momentum. Michigan could take it right back because they've got three guys who can cycle in
1: and out and run the damn ball down your throat. When Blake Corum scored that touchdown late and did the little corn eating thing in the end zone. Yeah, it was it was a miserable moment, but it honestly kind of made me laugh. Yeah, his little corn eating stuff. Yeah, I was like, well, he looked it. like that's an g- idiot. He did. It was dumb. It's like that's not how you eat corn. That's how they do in Michigan. Yeah, <laughs>
0: he was moving two hands in opposite directions. It was like, twisted. Yeah, I don't e- know what it e- was. He was. Yeah. It was like he was screwing in the things to hold them, <laughs> as opposed to just like eating the corn. I was like, is he? Is he? Eat? I just like if there was a sound effect, it's like, or eat, or eat, or eat. He looked like he was cleaning his helmet. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. I just think that the, this defense continues. To give the op- offense an opportunity to win the game. And there's nothing more that you should be asking from your defense. I mean the the tackles for loss. The sacks. The no points scored. All that's great. But every time the defense needed to step up. The defense stepped up. And that's what you're saying right. Is they, they could have easily keeled over. The offense isn't playing well. And we've talked about this game after game. Is when is this defense going to show the cracks in the armor. They didn't yet again. Yeah.
1: I think well I know. I mean for sure like right. Following that fumble. Michigan scores a field goal Nebraska's defense held them on three plays boom 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 they had to burn their timeouts but they held them they gave the ball back to the offense with time to go down and score yep and I think after Martinez interception I don't remember for sure but I think they held them to a field goal after that one too earlier in the game yeah 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 and so that
0: was the that was where the all the garbage was reviewed there were seven plays and there were four yeah
1: yeah god that was a fucking mess but they did. They had a big stop at the goal line. Yeah. Right? The one play, and then they got lucky with the, the botched handoff. And, yeah. But they held, so.
0: I have that written down, too. They held against an elite offense in Oklahoma, but the performance they had against Michigan was against an elite Big Ten offensive line. And you would not have seen that in years past. You would not have seen that without the improvement that they've had on that defensive line. And a lot of credit goes to the boogeyman himself. It was to Damian Daniels. Yes. Playing out of his mind, upping his draft draft stock game after game. He was absolutely obliterating Michigan's offensive line. Yeah. yeah. And that defense doesn't work without a great nose tackle, disrupting, taking on double teams. He's he's in the best shape of his life. He's playing the smartest football of his life, the most aggressive football of his life. He's the only good thing to come out of Mike Riley. <laughs> so,
1: oh man. Okay.
0: The, the other the other thing I want to talk about on defense. Yes. I don't want to jump the gun. on no, you good. Cut What's you up? off. I want to talk about Eric Chenander's play calling. Okay. Because I think that as great as this defense is playing, they've got a captain at the front of the ship who knows what he's doing, who's got his guys and has this figured out. So late in that fourth quarter, when Michigan was moving downfield and they wound up overthrowing the pass uh, into the back corner of the end zone, he called the. A safety blitz at the perfect time and got pressure on the quarterback he knows when to take his shots on defense to disrupt the quarterback or to disrupt the play and i think that that's or that's kind of like the hidden yardage thing right where it's like you're not going to make hay on the perfect play call but he was pretty conservative with his blitz packages he was keeping guys out in front he was making sure that his his secondary was in the right position that sort of thing but when he called pressure it was effective And to be able to stay off the gas on that and then apply the pedal to the metal at the right time shows you his growth as well. I think before people wanted to get rid of Frost, they wanted to get rid of Chins.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember that.
0: And he is now leading an elite group that's probably at the end of the season going to be a top 25 defense. Not only is he getting his team ready throughout the week, he's putting them in situations to succeed during the game as well. And I want to give credit for that, too. MVPs? mvps let's hear it
1: okay i have i have cam taylor Britt. what yeah it's no. amazing he had some big time pass breakups just impressive just impressive play from him why it, would you keep throwing to his side that, of the field that really actually did surprise me because i because i don't know i mean newsom on the other side i don't think he did terrible Mm-mm. you know and, and like i said i don't mcnamara also made a lot of just smart throws in general yeah
0: so. to his tight end up the middle on third down
1: Uh, yeah there was a a lot of soft spots in the middle that was frustrating but that's part of the defense that i've that you have to get used to when you're watching a coach chin's defense (laughs) is that you got to get used to the fact that they're going to hit your soft spots and then eventually they buckle down yeah that's
0: that's good coaching coaching on michigan's part too you know as good as the defensive coaching is for nebraska they responded in certain situations well yeah
1: my my other my true mvp though is again probably for like the third week in a row i think i don't know ramir johnson yeah. And and that that was because he got, again, just he was a workhorse, got tough yards on the ground, you know, kept, they kept pounding away. And eventually when stuff opened up, he started ripping off some chunk yards in the second half, but he showed the versatility in the receiving game, had a couple of really big pass plays that popped off for like 40 some yards. The fact that he had a great receiving game mm-hmm. is why I want to give him the MVP for this yeah. one, because it just shows another part of his game. that that Nebraska has that that they can use to be effective. How much does that excite you, knowing that this is the beginning of his development, not the end
0: of his development?
1: Very much. Like... And, th- and I think that's why I keep like looking back to him is because uh, and we've said it before and, and everybody knows like he was buried beneath all yep. these other guys in terms of like who f- who fans and maybe even coaches expected to be the guy. And it's taken an injury, you know, from Gabe Irvin. But we've seen what Yant can do, you know, against Northwestern, who's very impressive. But they still came back to Ramir and, and just throughout the season. Yeah, he's he's become a guy that they can count on. No matter who the opponent is, he is very young. All these running backs are young, which yeah. is also exciting. But he's yeah, he's just that unheralded guy who just kept plugging away, kept working, kept working. Coaching staff gave him that opportunity, you know, thanks to that work, and he's he's showing up. I
0: I think those are great choices. Cam Taylor Britt, obviously, he doesn't get to showcase a lot because people just stay away from him. Yeah, but when called upon. Was in position every single time the ball was thrown his way to either make the tackle or to make make the pass break up. The one in the end zone was incredibly impressive where he just didn't give up on the play and it wound up turning into a field goal. Yeah. So it's like on that pass, he could have easily given up and Nebraska gets the ball back and whatever they're down, however many points. But instead, he fought through the end of that play. A lot of guys were up in their draft stock on Nebraska's defense. There was a lot of really good individual play that was very visible and very present. And to do it in prime time, very impressive.
1: Yeah. Who you got? stop. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: so, yeah. You know me, I like to find the, the hidden gems the, yep, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the the, yeah, some of those guys yeah. I mean, they're never gonna be the game ball guy. They're never gonna walk out of the stadium with the game ball, but yeah, uh Pritstop and his punting was easily the MVP because not only I mean you could have written him off if he had just averaged thirty five yards a punt and they didn't run any back for a touchdown. You would have been like, Hey, I'll take that. Yeah. Yep. He didn't do that. He averaged yards per punt on four punts two of them within the 20 one could have been within the one had there been a little bit of better play so close yep three of his punts were over 50 yards and the total return yardage for michigan a top 10 return yardage team in the country on punts negative eight yards yeah so how do you not i mean that's that just shows you again the focus that this coaching staff can put into certain areas They knew they needed to improve the offensive line. It's improved over the last few games and went up against a real Big Ten defensive line. Special teams needed to improve. More attention's been paid to it. We're seeing that improvement. It still has a long way to go. If we were to talk about Nebraska's receiving and their return yardage, it's still in that it's literally zero. They don't return the ball. But we're getting back to a baseline on that side, and we're seeing improvement on the other side. Frankie would would have been my second place MVP. Yeah. Got to give love to the special teams, guys. But for the kickoffs, Michigan was the 20-yard line, the 20-yard line, the 18-yard line, and then two touchbacks. 21.6-yard line average starting field position on kickoffs, which if you would have told me that they would have been at the 25, I would have taken it if it was every touchback. But no, the coverage on the kickoffs was excellent. So, Frankie, you're my second-place MVP. The Pritstop, Stop, especially bouncing back from a really rough start to the year with some shanks and stuff like that to just absolutely – punch him down
1: the field um, yeah. was great it's like when he uncorked that one against northwestern that just yeah it that just blew it for you you're like oh yeah
0: so not a moral victory but definitely one where the the evidence of improvement is visible and to do that on a national stage under the lights against competition like that when everyone's been saying in the national spotlight that scott frost is on the hot seat if you can't look at that game and go there's there's something brewing here and the evidence is finally there. Then are you even watching football?
1: Uh, where are we going next? Uh, we got some more beer to drink. Lovely. All right, before we go on to Minnesota, we're going to talk about what we're drinking here, Ben. This is Farnham House Brewings Nebraska It's in Amber, lager, clocks in at 5.1% alcohol by volume. Ben, what do you think of this one?
0: I enjoy this beer. This has a lot of tastes that are similar and reminiscent to a rye bread or a pumpernickel. It's very full of malt. It's very full-flavored, very full-body. Brings a lot of those notes that you would also put with breads. It's a very kind of old-world, old-school type of malty beer. Definitely the definition of an amber. You're getting the full-on malt. has a little bit of floral notes to it. I'd pair this with a nice patty melt from Farnham House, or if they have pastrami on rye, or if they have any kind of bready option that's kind of a go-to sandwich, maybe a nice Bavarian pretzel with some mustard. This would be a beer that would hold up really well to a lot of those bread notes. I think this is a great beer for having any of those big sandwiches or anything like that. And Drew, I don't know how you feel about the beers we've had, but I think that Farnham House is a really great option for some old school options, some cool German style, Belgian style, Czech Republic style beers.
1: Yeah, I think I think that the fact that they own, kind of own that that niche is is pretty cool. You don't tend to find that in any brewery anymore because you know, breweries want to expand and try to reach out to the broad audience. Yeah. They embrace the fads with, you know, like the IPA or the, you know, the seltzers and stuff like that, but it's nice to see a brewery Kind of go back to like the roots, right? Yeah. Like this is what this is what made beer great to begin with, and and you know there's so much room to explore those styles still, yeah. and so yeah, I'm, I'm you know I'm I'm loving that uh, that they do that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you
0: find yourself with some time to spare and you're in the Omaha area, make make your way down to the Blackstone District and check out Farnham House Brewing Company. They're an awesome space with great food and even better beer. Uh, definitely stop in, give them a try. And, uh, yeah, that's about all I got to say about
1: that. All right. Uh, before we go on to talking more football, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska.
0: Now, October 1st marked the beginning of the Guild's official Drink Local campaign, So during the month of October, we ask you to raise a glass and do your best to drink only local craft beer. Shall we oath? Let's do it. In order to support the Nebraska craft brewing industry and the benefits brewing... (laughs) I sound like an old school racehorse announcer. In order to support the Nebraska... (laughs) In order to support the Nebraska craft brewing industry and the benefits breweries provide our state... Through their wonderful beers and ciders, we've had a drink local. We pledge that during the 31 days and nights of October, only independent Nebraska craft beers and ciders shall be consumed. Shall we cheers to that, Drew? Cheers. All right. We're going to break that rule in just a minute. But we're going to do our best to stick to those Nebraska brews when we're not doing our sportsmanship. sip. Yeah, we have
1: prior obligations we so, do the guild plans to host virtual events a membership drive giveaways and more during the month of october to share more about the amazing craft brewing industry in nebraska we need you to join us take a stand take a sip and pass this promise on to your friends all right
0: it is time for us to move forward and move towards the minnesota gulf Golfin and golders <laughs> The Minnesota Golden Gophers, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, travel to the Twin Cities to take on the Minnesota Gophers on Saturday, October sixteenth at eleven a.m. on ESPN two.
1: Oh, are you gonna say
0: No, I was ready to like get amped I was like, "Well, that's big time," but now no. it's a step down from it's big time. Yeah, Minnesota, led by PJ Fleck, is three and two on the season after last week's win over Purdue. Nebraska, led by Scott Frost, is currently three and four on the season. After this week's loss to Michigan, the spread is currently undefined.
1: So it's time to do what we do best and speculate. Drew, what do you think? Yeah, I think last time I was off by a, almost a full touchdown, if not more. Would you say twelve and a half? I was way up. Yeah, there. And it opened at three and a half. It opened at three and a half, but then I took into consideration home field advantage adds three, and then also I'm an idiot. So I was at what did I say? Four and a half, five and a half, I think. I yeah, mean, I don't. You know. were no, I don't, I don't remember, know. but you were closer. You were a whole hell of a lot closer.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I'm pretty good on guessing spreads and then not betting on them. To
1: be fair, the at the end of the first half, it was 13 to nothing. Yeah. So
0: I was right about the first well, half. Well, if spread. only
1: football games ended after 30 minutes. If only. <laughs> <laughs> this time, I'm gonna very confidently throw out like a 13 and a half in favor of Nebraska. Wow! Because Minnesota's offense is atrocious right now. Okay, they don't put up a lot of points. We saw what what Nebraska does against an inferior opponent. We know what they can do against quality opponents. Minnesota is going to be dealing with with injuries at running back, unfortunately, which is yeah. unfortunate. The good the good thing is is that uh, Trey Potts. It sounds like he's out of the hospital. He's yep. doing well. He's yep. recovering, so that's good. With whatever he's dealing with, happy for him. But there, as far as the football aspect goes, there will be some question marks there. So. Sure.
0: I'm going to be a little more conservative. I'll put it at about 7.5 okay. in Nebraska's favor. Just because Minnesota does have home field advantage. Right. And they're coming off the bye. Nebraska's come off a really tough seven-game stretch. I think there's a lot of factors at play there. So I'm going to say that Vegas is going to put it around seven and a half, eight and a half in Nebraska's favor. But I do definitely believe that Nebraska fair. will be favored
1: by more than a touchdown. I'll roll mine back to 11.5 for the you can't home do field can't do that. Advantage. I forgot that we are on the road.
0: Oh, okay. I'm doing it now. Fair enough. So... What do we think? Let's start
1: talking about Minnesota's special teams. Okay. I I finally feel good about where our special teams stands. Just because of the decision making that they that they've shown, you know, they're willing to I think bite the bullet and just accept the ball where they get it. Yep. And then let let the offense and the defense do the work. Sure. Um, but then we've also seen, you know, we talked a lot about Pristop with the the Michigan matchup. I had all his stats and everything listed here. We won't go over him again. But again, he's just, he's part of the special teams that's not just getting out of the way, but actually like he's inserted himself into the conversation as a potential weapon moving forward. Yeah. So
0: great. The one thing that I have on the radar for Minnesota is going into it, their field goal kicker is currently six and nine on the year. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that come out of the game for Minnesota and to see them go for it on Nebraska's side of the field. On any fourth and short situation, they're probably going to take advantage of those situations and try and keep their drives going and score more touchdowns until they're in maybe the 20 to 30 yard line mark. So if you see Minnesota get across the field, expect them to be in four down territory.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. Not just because of their special teams woes, but because of their offensive woes. They know like Frost knew going into the Michigan game. They need touchdowns to win the game.
0: Sure. The other thing that I think is important to look at, too, is Minnesota's return game when it comes to special teams. So Marquise King is or was going into this this game inching closer and closer to returning a a kickoff for a touchdown. He's busted off some really good runs, and he averages 33 yards per return with his long being at 41. That being said, you mentioned it earlier that they've got running backs that are injured. Mo Ibrahim's not playing. He's out for the season. And then Potts was hospitalized, unfortunately. And so Marquise King is their third leading rusher he'll probably take a majority of the workload and he's a true freshman i don't know if they're going to put him back there on special teams or if they're going to try and save him for the actual run game so i don't know how that plays out i just want to see frankie keep doing what he's doing putting him through the end zone putting them in situations where they're on the goal line or a little bit back into the end zone or all the way through if he wants to go ahead and do that and just take the return game out of the question altogether that's what i have for special teams Drew just gave a thumbs up. So let's move on and let's talk about Nebraska's offense against Minnesota's defense.
1: Okay, here's what I've got. I think in this game, Nebraska will need Martinez's arm to lead the offensive assault, and they'll need to be explosive to score points. Really? I do. I disagree with that. Cool. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Let's get into this then. Okay, and here's why. Here's why I think that. Because Minnesota's defense gives up 12.3 yards per completion, which ranks about 70th in the nation. As far as yards per rush attempt goes, they give up 2.8 yards, which ranks 14th in the nation. They have a better rush defense statistically than Michigan State at 3.1, Oklahoma at 3.2, and Michigan at 3.4. Sure. Okay. Nebraska's offense, meanwhile, has 18 passes of 30 plus yards through the seven games that they've played. That includes having four of those against Michigan. In Minnesota's worst defensive performance against Ohio State, Ohio State had four such passes of 30 yards or more. All of them went for touchdowns. And in the other four games that Minnesota has played, they've only given up five passes of 30 yards or more. And so I don't know that Nebraska is going to have success running the ball against Minnesota. But I do know that Nebraska is really good at taking big shots. Sure. And I do know that Minnesota's offense or excuse me Minnesota's defense is susceptible to those big plays against high quality opponents. Sure, based on limited samples. You know what they're also susceptible to?
0: Losing to Bowling Green.
1: I'll cover that later, but okay. yeah, no. So, the
0: reason that I slightly <laughs> yeah. disagree is I don't think uh-huh. it's going to necessarily take Adrian's arm to win the game. I do think that that's a weapon that Nebraska will be able to use effectively, but Minnesota struggled against Bowling Green's running quarterback and I think that it's Bowling Green You put a guy like Adrian Martinez out on the field, and he's going to be able to run the option all over them. Boye Mafé is the biggest thing to look out for on Minnesota's defense as a a pass rusher. And so if you're running the ball away from him, I think you can edge them out on the perimeter, get into outside space, and take off, especially with the wrinkles of an option. So I don't think necessarily they have to win it through the air. They might be tough to run up the middle on, but I think if you can get to the perimeter and mess with them on that front, I don't think that this defense is experienced enough to take that on, especially from the linebacker in the secondary play. Their line is very stout. I don't want to take away from their defensive line play. That's a very good defensive line. And we talked about that in our previews, that that was a very good defensive line. And that continues through to this year. But I don't think that Nebraska is going to have to air it out more than they run it in order to win this game. I I think that they're going to be able to have a very balanced attack and be able to take on uh, Minnesota.
1: That's fair. I don't think that they'll need to. I think that they'll. I just. I just assume that's what they're going to lean on. Okay. And I think that in order to have the most success, I think that's the route that they would take. Sure. I think that's fair. So, I. But I. I understand where you're coming from with with being able to to run the option and and you know. And, I just and think that find ways. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They'll be able to expose Minnesota on a lot of fronts. The middle of that line. This Michigan game was good practice for what they're going to see on the middle run game where you're just trying to take it up the gut and slam it on them minnesota is going to have a very similar stop probably stop percentage just yeah. like you mentioned those numbers are, are in their favor
1: yeah and i'm just i'm gun shy i guess is is what i'm saying in terms of here here we are running up against another really great run defense and and we've had our we've had our struggles um and so i just yeah i just think that 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 this is going to be the game that martinez throws the ball so and that's fine.
0: Do you think that Minnesota is going to put a spy on Adrian or they're just not going to need it? Because.
1: Do they have a guy? Do they have a guy in their linebacking core who you. Yeah, would-
0: you know, I, I think that uh, Jack Gibbons gets a lot of tackles for loss. He's their leading tackler on the year. I think he could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a smart player, takes a lot of great angles, that sort of thing. So I think they do have someone who could do it. The question is, are they going to need to? And that to me is where the pass game opens up, right? You get your your play advantage where you've got a spy on the quarterback so you've got one less linebacker in coverage right and that's how your your tight ends get up the seam that's how those guys get e- open over the middle is because that guy's just not paying attention to those run routes he's solely focused on that quarterback so i think if you maybe start the game with that quarterback run game with that option run game expose them to that and then in the second half you expose the fact that now they've had to adjust on something like
1: that right so that's good Okay. We're good. We're good there.
0: All right, so let's move into Nebraska's defense against that Minnesota offense. Drew, what thoughts do you have
1: there? I, I think this is going to be Nebraska's best opportunity on defense to generate some pressure and generate some sacks. We've had some inferior opponents in the past where we weren't necessarily able to do that, and we've seen that the defense can still be very successful without it. But it's one of those things that, you know, Shenander talks about wanting to create chaos, and you create turnovers by creating pressure. Minnesota is a team that gives up a sack on 8.16% of their pass plays, which is really bad. Yeah. It's almost as bad as Nebraska. One out of every 10 pass plays, you're giving up a sack, basically. that's Yeah, which, oddly enough, that's what Nebraska's is. It's exactly 10%. Oh. Yeah, if you take out Fordham.
0: Eight out of every 100 pass plays. (laughs) There you
1: go. Minnesota's giving up a sack. Yeah. Just to put that into perspective – Michigan ranks second in the nation right now. They only give up a sack on 1.47% of their their passing plays. That's with the Nebraska game. That's with the Nebraska game, with that sack. Yeah, Minnesota is susceptible in that regard. Whereas Nebraska hasn't necessarily shown an ability to get after the quarterback consistently, I think this is a game where they can overpower an offensive line that's been pretty disappointing Mm -hmm. so far this year. They're going to be going up against a team that again is playing a third string running back and so you wonder like how much confidence do they have in that that running game how often are they gonna put put things on Tanner Morgan you know a guy who hasn't played well but who I think they probably trust a little more and so again it just I think it, this opens up an opportunity to to kind of get in the backfield and have some fun
0: does Minnesota feel like to you like they do to me where they're kind of like Michigan junior they've got Tanner Morgan as their Cade McNamara but then they bring in their Cole Kramer. They've got a stout defensive line that makes it tough to run up the middle against. They tend to lean towards the run on 72% of their offensive plays. There there's a lot of similarities between these two things, but whereas Michigan just executes it on a higher level and Minnesota just wishes they could be that.
1: Yeah. I think that I think Minnesota Michigan like I think that's just like you you've almost explained almost any Big 10 team quarterback plays is- always almost always questionable sure Um, you rely on your defense you rely on your run game so that's just kind of what Nebraska faces in general I guess but yeah I I think that Minnesota is is definitely a lesser opponent yeah you know in that regard
0: Um, it just feels like when you kind of watch what they're trying to accomplish versus what Michigan does accomplish there's a lot of similarities on how they're trying to go out and win the game and I think that if Nebraska, since Nebraska was fairly successful against Michigan on a lot of those fronts, that Minnesota might be something where they can take a lot of that moving forward and a lot of the good and then try and fix a lot
1: of the bad. Yeah, there's like a direct application. Yeah, that's, like, I guess hey, that's what I'm yeah. trying to say. Is yeah.
0: not Not to diminish them as an opponent or to overlook them or anything like that, but it's just like a... This is a team that's seven years into their head coach versus five years into their head coach, and they're trying to build a similar identity. Yeah, for me, I I feel bad for Minnesota with what happened to Mo Ibrahim, a guy who was a leader on the team to get injured and be out for the whole season, and then what happened to Tracey Potts to be hospitalized after the Purdue game. I don't want to say that I want to see success for the running back room for Minnesota because obviously this is a Nebraska podcast and we're Nebraska fans. But these are also college kids, and I want to see them all succeed in their own right. I'd like to see a great performance, and I'd like to see a defense show up in Nebraska and take down this running back. I think Marquise King is a talented kid. He's a freshman. He's a young guy, and he's going to be in that leadership role as the running back that they're going to lean on quite heavily. Tanner Morgan only has completed 52% of his passes. He threw two interceptions against Bowling Green. So you're, you're kind of thinking... What's Minnesota really got that's going to attack Nebraska? And I think that it's going to be the screen game. I think that you're going to see a lot of tight end, wide receiver screens. They're going to try and get the ball on the perimeter, make you tackle, get blocking out front, and they're going to stay away from guys who are putting their hands in their dirt, in the dirt like DeAndre Thomas, like the Damian Daniels, the Ben Stillies, the Garrett Nelsons who are putting that pass rush on. I think you're going to see Minnesota try and get the ball away from them because they do know they're susceptible to that. And they do know that Tanner Morgan's not having his best season. He's been indecisive because he doesn't really have a whole lot of options.
1: He hasn't. When we talked about like the wide receivers being banged up and Chris Ottman Bell not being around, he should be healthy for this game, especially with the bye week. He should be fully healthy. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully for his sake he is. And he's I think he's a fun player to watch. He's a talented guy. And if you don't get um Ibrahim, at least you get to watch him play. Sure. So one of the one of the things that I know that that Minnesota relies on for offensive success so far this year is a play action pass. Um, that's where Tanner Morgan sees his most success. Mm-hmm. And without having a running back or without having a, a a running game that they can hang their hat on, I'm kind of worried about how Morgan looks. You know, just in general, because the one thing that he had going for him was again the play action pass. Sure. And if you take away the run game, the play action's not as effective because the defense doesn't have to count for it. Hopefully having Ottman Bell back for them gives them a little bit of a spark. Yeah for them
0: not for us obviously yeah but y- yeah i mean you just you
1: i get what you're saying when you say you feel bad for them yeah i, I do feel bad because nebraska's
0: say. been in those situations too right where mm-hmm. all their playmakers have been injured where they it's like who do we turn to who do we and like that's not fun that's not what college football is about you want it to be good on good and you want it to be a good game and you want every win to be a good win so i don't say it in the sense where it's like well I, I, this is the one game that i hope nebraska loses no by by no means am i feeling like that <laughs> What I'm just trying to say is it sucks from a from a collegiate perspective that these kids are going through these struggles and and they're putting themselves on the line and you just you hope that everyone is well. You want to beat a team at their best.
1: Yeah. Not like when they're like half their team is out with like COVID stuff and then they roll into town (laughs) (laughs) and kick your ass. You don't want that game. I will say the one thing that I don't feel bad for Minnesota for is that as they do lose these playmakers, these top end guys, and as they struggle I don't feel bad because what Nebraska has dealt with in terms of injury and loss, they've made up for it with depth, yeah, and a solid program and building up towards that over the past few years. Sure, and that's always been my knock, one of many on PJ Fleck, as I feel like it's just it's a lot of flash and not a lot of substance. Yeah, and I think you see that in these years is like he he brings in, you know, some guys, but if they go down, like the team ain't ain't gonna rise to the occasion sure so the one thing and it
0: it pains me to say it pj fleck is maybe one of the best coaches in the country at getting his team ready for a situation where they're an underdog yeah he knows how to fire up his crew that being said last year's nebraska minnesota matchup and this year's nebraska minnesota matchup are two different matchups This Nebraska team is playing on a higher level than Nebraska's played in a very long time. And Minnesota is on a downward trajectory this season. So I don't expect P.J. Flex pep rallies to do dick. Beautiful. So now it's time for this week's Sportsman Sip. Before we reveal our predictions, we'd like to raise a glass to our opponents and sample a beer local to their university this week we are sampling beer from Surly Brewing Company in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Drew, why don't you tell us what we're drinking?
1: Yeah, we're drinking the Hell Lager from Surly. This is, clocks in at 5% ABV. This is a hellis lager, right? Which is pretty obvious by the name. This is another one of those like light, refreshing, crisp, you know, inoffensive beers. We went with Surly on this episode that because it's it's easily accessible here in omaha right it's a pretty big name yeah if you're in the if you're in the, into craft beer they do a lot of really great ipas they've got some good uh stouts and stuff around here that you oh, can yeah. find the hell just kind of fit in with the other beers that we were drinking so we wanted to stick to those like classic lager styles absolutely and so yeah i'm really enjoying the just the freshness and the, the crisp quality of it
0: yeah when it comes to surly i'm always on the hunt year after year For their darkness release. Yeah. That's always Mm -hmm. one of those stouts that if you ever come across a bottle of Surly's Darkness, it is the perfect example of what an aged stout can do. They knock it out of the park year after year. So Surly is a great brewery. It's definitely one worth checking out. And if you are finding yourself traveling to the Minnesota game, you can make your way to Surly from Huntington Bank Stadium. It's only point nine miles away that's walkable that's walkable but also if you happen to bring a unicycle check this out which has an average speed of five miles an hour (laughs) you will be at surly post game in under 12 minutes so assuming you don't wipe out who (laughs)
1: brings a unicycle i don't know i just thought (laughs) does google maps you know how they, they have like the mode of transportation you can select? Yeah. Like the, yeah is it unicycle?
0: I did the math myself. Okay. <laughs> I had to so, Google how far away is the mm-hmm. stadium from the brewery. I had to Google what Ad- is the average <laughs> speed of a unicycle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I had to do math. Did you? Yeah. So 0.9 I miles, 5 miles an hour, bleh, 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 bleh in my calculator, under 12 minutes. That's the
1: information you can't get anywhere else.
0: Yeah. Listen to wannabe walk-ons. If you want to know how far it is from a stadium to a brewery, via unicycle tune in next week it's a bye week the week after that it's also a bye week anyways check out surly brewing company if you are heading out to the minnesota game not only do they have excellent beer they're also like a full-fledged restaurant so you can have a great time they've got a full compound out there if you're a diners drive-ins and dives fan like i am they were featured on one of the episodes and they do a full tour it looks like they have excellent sandwiches they've got crazy looking pizza and it's just a cool space it's an 11 a.m. game, so it's the perfect place to head out after the game, celebrate hopefully a Nebraska win, and just hang out while you're in Minnesota before you drive back to Nebraska. So cheers to Surly Brewing Company and the Minnesota Golden Gophers.
1: Cheer- well, cheers to Surly. Good point.
0: So now it's time for at least my favorite part of the episode, and I, I hope that it's all of yours favorite episodes, but it is our predictions. Um, Drew, do you want to f- go first or do you want to go second?
1: I want to. All I want to say is, I'm looking at our two early predictions, which we'll cover here. And what, what happened to Minnesota? What happened? What the hell happened? I don't know. This was a team that I was scared to play against. I thought this was one where they would. I had. I had us with beating Michigan, and then coming back and losing to Minnesota.
0: I think the bigger question is what happened to Nebraska. And at this time, we were thinking Minnesota was going to be the Minnesota team of 2019. The momentum they carried into 2020. And they haven't shown that same spark, be it Tanner Morgan's quarterback play or the struggles they've had from the running back room. I think their defensive line is the same defensive line we expected early on in the season. But that's about the only thing that we can carry from the offseason into now. And so I think Nebraska has grown as a team and shown that they're capable of beating the teams they should beat in the Northwestern games, the Buffalo games, the Fordham games, that sort of thing. And unfortunately for Minnesota, they've fallen into that category where it shouldn't be a difficult contest for Nebraska to win if they come and they play their game. You and I both had Minnesota winning. Your prediction was 27-24 before the season started. Mine was 37-31 to before the season started. I think those are going to change. So why don't you take it away, Drew, and tell us what you see now as Nebraska takes on Minnesota.
1: All right. Here we go for the prediction Yeah, that's what we're talking about. All right, here we go. Nebraska and Minnesota have a lot in common. They rely on their defense to carry the team. They've suffered this season from disappointing offensive line play. They've lost a top running back to injury. Their wide receivers have been banged up, and at times they've struggled to put points on the board. They also have their differences. Nebraska has a losing record, but looked good in three matchups against current top 10 teams. Meanwhile, Minnesota has a winning record, but lost to Bowling Green. Nebraska has a quarterback that has excelled under pressure, responsible for over 2,000 yards of offense and 19 touchdowns. Minnesota has a quarterback that struggles under pressure, responsible for losing to Bowling Green. (laughs) Nebraska has a head coach who is consistently improving his team through hard work, culture, confidence, and a genuine love for his players and the program. Minnesota has a head coach who is consistently sloganeering, snorting pregame uppers, and losing to bowling (laughs) fucking green. Give me Adrian Martinez going for over 400 total yards, Austin (laughs) Allen with two spikes, and an interception for Nick Henrich. Saturday will be anything but golden for the Gophers. Nebraska rolls 38-12. to 38 to 12. Big old win. A big fat win with some weird numbers too. I like that. Yeah. It's going to happen. What do you got? Tell me your prediction. Yeah.
0: Here we go. You ready? Yeah. I don't like PJ Fleck. The problem is I can't quite put my finger on the reason why he bothers me so much. Does my disdain come from his trademark high energy public persona? Or is it his trademark and annoyingly misspelled hyper elite coaching philosophy? Or is it his trademark road the boat mentality? I mean, if his intentions are altruistic, then there's no way he's licensing his slogans to the university only to revoke the right should he take a different coaching gig. I know it's not the fact that his personal brand seems to be at the forefront of the conversation, even before his coaching duties or his players. But if that were the case, he wouldn't be charging twenty dollars to $30,000 for speaking engagements, right? No, that can't be it. And there's no way that he looks at every coaching gig as a stepping stone for the next. Recently, P.J. Fleck's name was tied to the USC coaching rumors, but he was so committed to his team and dispelling such wild claims that he went on to lose to Bowling Green to prove he wasn't a viable candidate (laughs) for the job. So what is it about Fleck? Why does the guy get on my nerves? What is left to say about Pajama Fleck that hasn't already been said by P.J. Fleck himself? I think I know. It's not the fact that he runs onto the field before kickoff as fast as he can out in front of his own team. It's not that he celebrates the good that happens on the field by jumping as high as he can with his players. And it's not the fact that he treats every press conference like a fucking TED Talk. (laughs) It's that he does all this, behaves like a penis in a party hat, and wins. If P.J. Fleck behaved the way he does and lost more than he won, we'd write him off as quirky. But he's found every which way to fire up his team and win games when everyone else has written Minnesota off. So enough is enough. It's time to show Tanner Morgan's stunt double the real meaning of elite. <laughs> Huskers return to five hundred, thirty-seven, seventeen. It is weird that they're both bald. It's and so, like, and have a like, little bit of stubble oh God. and
1: yeah.
0: Like if you uh-huh. if you put them in a police lineup, <laughs> someone would go, oh, I don't know if it's three or four. I right. just don't know. <laughs>
1: Oh man, that was fun.
0: So before we say goodbye, we want to give you another chance to win our season-long prize package, including a
1: game-used Nebraska football and local brewery swag. For this week's entry, email wannabewalkons at gmail dot com with who you think will be Nebraska's leading receiver against Minnesota. This is tricky because Ramir
0: Johnson was Nebraska's Super leading receiver tricky. against Michigan. The answers don't matter, but it's just a super tricky way to look it's at fun it. fun to think about. So remember, only one entry per episode, and you don't have to be correct to win. If you're a new listener or haven't entered our earlier episodes, you can do so until we give the prize away. That includes game predictions, so you can just send us the score. We just want to hear that you've enjoyed the episodes in previous episodes. You can be
1: 100% accurate in your game predictions at you this really point, could, and it yeah. will
0: count for exactly one entry. We just want to make sure that we're showing our appreciation appreciation (laughs) we just want to make sure that we're showing our appreciation to all of our listeners
1: just make sure to include your first and last name in your email entry so
0: that does it for this week we want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode if you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen we would truly appreciate
1: your recommendation don't forget to follow us on social media at wannabe walk-ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform
0: remember to do your part drink local beer wherever you are you can find more information on Farnham House Brewing by visiting com. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com
1: to submit your recommendations. Next week is the first of two bi-week episodes. Yep. So, what are we doing? Recapping Minnesota. Yeah, and, and then what? It's a surprise. Oh, I love surprises. Tune in next week for our Minnesota reaction and a surprise. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.